Hello, beautiful. You are listening to episode 92 of the Africana Woman podcast. Chulu is my name. I am a writer, personal brand consultant, entrepreneur, and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges, and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story is powerful. Thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to all the new listeners and welcome back family. Click the subscribe button to make sure you are always the first to know when a new episode drops and tell at least one girlfriend about the Africana Woman podcast. We are seven conversations away from the official 100th episode celebration. Oh my gosh. So exciting. This is what you need to know. The 100th episode celebration will be held on Saturday, 24th September in Kabwe, Zambia. We sat down to plan and sis, it is going to be a special day. Think of it as a mini retreat meets a festival. So music, fun, meeting people, like good food, girl. Oh my goodness. It's all about celebrating you for the queen that you are. And that's why we have created packages for you to choose from to make this as enjoyable for you to attend. Basically, the day is going to have the 100th celebration at Kumishi Garden in the afternoon. And then in the evening, we're having a relaxed girls' night out mixer at Cafe Choconilla. All the podcast listeners... Africana woman visionaries, book club members, and queens who want to be in the company of other powerful women, this event is for you. I think it's so important to be intentional about who you surround yourself with. And the women that I attract are Stella. For those of you coming from out of town, we got you, girl. We got you, okay? So we have found a really sweet place for you to call home whilst you are in Kabwe. And that will cater for your bed and breakfast. I am so excited. I can't even explain. To be honest, I'll, I'm just going to do a, a little <laughs> confession here. You know, I was thinking about, oh my goodness, you know, where would it be easier to have this event? Maybe I should just do it in Lusaka, you know, those types of thoughts. But when I sat down with that, that thought, I really uh, reflected and meditated on it. I decided that I wanted to have this event in Kabwe. Why? Because I want to give back to the economy in this town. And, you know, so many times we're always complaining about, oh, everything is in Lusaka, everything is in the capital cities. And that's because we don't make an effort to spread things around. I decided that instead of taking the easy path, which is kind of interesting considering the conversation that we're having today, so I decided that instead of taking the easy path, I was going to take the path that was that would fill my heart more, even though it may be a bit more challenging to do. And I hope that just making that decision to leave your homes, come and celebrate being an Africana woman, I think that is such a powerful decision for you to make for yourself and to say that my cup needs to be filled. I need to surround myself with energy that is just electric. 
that will fire me up and get me boosted and started. And guys, if you know me, you know that I don't do an event where I don't go a hundred percent. You are going to walk away a changed person, transformed. It is always, always my goal to make an impact in anything that I do. So yes, we are going to dance. We're going to have a party. We're going to eat good food, but it is also going to be transformational. So I hope to see you there. I really do feel that this is going to be such a special celebration. Now, if you want to get full details of how you can register, you can find the link in the show notes or visit africanawoman.com. I cannot wait to see you there. It's, ah, people are already signing up. Hey, hey. <laughs> okay, so I sat down with Margaret Chideme. Listen to that name, Margaret Chideme. And we had such a beautiful conversation about finding yourself as a woman. You will hear her say, sometimes... A difficult path is the only path that can lead you to yourself. Mm. I think many of us can relate to that statement. Please enjoy the conversation. Margaret Chideme is an author, poet, content creator, and a blogger. She has a blog called Maggie's Diary, where she pours out her thoughts and memories about her life. She's an author of the book called First 30, which is a collection of women's poems about love and lust, pain and abuse, womanhood, divorce, searching and rediscovery. She has worked with Lafarge Cement Company to bring awareness to the plight of the girl child as part of a top 20 in a poetry slam. She has also performed at the pre-Valentine Love Shouldn't Hurt dinner, which brought awareness to domestic violence. In addition, Margaret has taken part in the Moala campaign with Word Smash Poetry, in solidarity with the Women's Human Rights Defenders in partnership with iMatter. An anthology was published after that called Mwala, Poems by Women Human Rights Defenders, where her poem, Silent Cries, is featured. Margaret performed her poem, The Rain Dance, in the Sadiq Human Rights and Poetry 2021 Virtual Festival in partnership with Accountability Lab to bring awareness to human rights. She is seen as a feminist by many, but she defines herself as a woman passionate about encouraging self-love, truth, and humanity. Listen, guys, help me welcome Margaret to the Africana Woman podcast. I'm so excited. I mean, just listening to her bio, guys, you even know she is meant to be here. Oh, my goodness. Hi. Hi. How are you? I am good. You look so beautiful. Thank you. You too, girl. (laughs) So, okay. So tell us, where are you in the world? I'm in Zimbabwe. (laughs) Which part? In Mutare, the Eastern Highlands. This is where, yeah, this is where the mountains are. It's beautiful, this side. Oh, I see. Because I've always been to like um, Harare and Bulawayo. 
And I was like, okay, hey, where is that? So interesting. Yeah, it's, it's about three hours from Harare on the eastern side. Ah. So we have beautiful mountains here near Fumba or Nyanga, if you've heard of those. No, I haven't. So did you grow up there? No, I grew up in Harare. And then I came here when I got married. Ah, I see, I see. Okay, so let's let's take yeah. it back a little bit. What is your favorite childhood memory? Favorite childhood memory? I think it's uh, sitting on top of the roofs. Uh, I used to live in a place called Basebridge. Uh, that's the border town between uh, Zimbabwe and South Africa. Mm-hmm. So I used to live there with my grandfather. And I used to love climbing this tree that would be against the, 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 the house. And I'd go on top of the roof. And I'll sit there and uh, maybe lie down on the roof and just look at the sky. That That is one memory I just hold dear to my heart. Oh, that, that sounds very, like, relaxing. <laughs> but at the same time, as a parent, yeah. you're like, child, get down. <laughs> <laughs> they never knew we could go up the roof. <laughs> would always get down whenever they, <laughs> they came back home. <laughs> That's so great. So, as was mentioned, you are a poet. But first of all, girl, you are doing a whole lot of things. There's construction, there's, you know, the skincare, there's writing. Like, there's a lot to you. And I'm yeah. like, okay, the skincare makes sense because you you t- you definitely have a glow. Like, Thank you. <laughs> so beautiful. So, just tell me about how how do you find yourself in all these different areas? You know, I think it's a bit of a curse that I'm ambitious. So I, I, any, every, any time I feel passionate about something, I make sure I see it to fruition. Mm. So I'm not really scared to try out anything that I think is worth trying out. So I just get my hands on whatever I'm interested in. Um, but it's hard, you know, it's hard to balance it. Sometimes I spread myself too thin. Mm. But yeah, but I think that's what life is about anyway. I, 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 I really like, I, I have a curious mind. So I have to, whenever I just, whenever I find an interest in something, I, I go for it. Yeah. So when you were a child... What was that thing you were saying, like, I want to do that. I want to be that. Was there any inclination that what you're doing now is what, you know, it was showing signs when you were young or not? Not really. You know, when I was young, I remember telling people I wanted to be a policewoman. (laughs) So, but I think that came from a place of wanting some sort of justice for the world and some sort of, I don't know, some sort of fairness, just doing good. I think that's where the answer came from. Um, when I was a teenager, I would tell people I wanted to be a businesswoman. So I guess I'm doing that. The writing part, I never saw myself do as a career. I just thought it was just something for my own personal, you know, expression. I was more of a closet writer for a long time. 
So I think at the core, if I look at the policewoman part, maybe, <laughs> maybe it's linked, but not necessarily that it's not that specifically linked. Like it's not obvious like that. No. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you are right though, that it is linked in the sense that, you know, you, you have a passion for, for defending people and, you know, um, making sure that people's rights are are being met, you know. So I think in a way, yeah, it's linked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you said that you moved to Mutare when you when you got married. Yes. And how long ago was that? It's now nine years. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been here for about nine years. So uh, yeah, about, about nine years. I used to. I was in the states. I left Harare, went to the States, worked there, uh, did my school there, uh, and came back because I was engaged to be married. So that, that was about nine years ago. Oh, okay. So, so this is, this is, the plot is getting thicker. So where did you meet? <laughs> oh my goodness. We met at this restaurant called IB's. He started chatting me up with my friend. My friend and I were waiting for some uh, some guy that liked her <laughs> to take us home. So uh, we were just sitting there waiting for a ride to come. And uh, we saw my now ex-husband sitting with his friends. And then they came over, started chatting us up. And then the, 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 our ride no came, way. but... Uh, we never got to exchange numbers. Uh-huh. So, uh, but there was something inside me that just kept telling me, you need to call that guy. You need, you should have given him your number. So, um, we went back to the hotel that my, where my friend used to work and I asked for the phone and I called the restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> I called the restaurant. <laughs> like, is that guy still there? No, you mean the the which one? The my, no, as in when no, you go to the restaurant, my... you're like, is the guy yes, still there yes. wearing this? And, and I didn't. I exactly. I didn't know his name, so I just say there's a guy who had a red cap on. Is he still there? So he the bartender brought some other guy who wasn't him, and I hung up the phone after I realized it's not the guy. Then I just thought I need to call back again. Like. I don't know what it was. I'd never done anything like that before. <laughs> so I called again, and this time um, he got the right guy. So uh, that's when we exchanged numbers, and then he came to see us that night, and we went out. <laughs> wow. Okay, so this restaurant, is it in Zim or is it in the States? It's in Zim. I was still in Zim then. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's romantic. Oh. Like, oh. <laughs> so then yeah, how long did it take for you guys to, to start um, dating and then, you know, and then before you actually got it married? Wasn't, it was an instant connection, but uh, we were both in complicated situations. So I, we started dating because then I, um, soon after I met him, maybe a few months after, that's when I moved to the States. Um, and then we had a long distance uh, thing going on. Um, actually, no, when I moved to the States, we had broken, we had broken up. Mm. So um, we tried again when I was there and 
it was a long distance relationship. It didn't work for a bit. We broke up again and then uh, reconnected and finally got married. So it was that that was a period of on and off for about five years or so. Yeah. 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 Ah, so did you ever consider staying in the States? Not really, no. Um, I've always, I'm always, I'm in love with Zimbabwe. Yeah. um, And Africa in general. I think um, the Western world does give, um, I think, an easier life as far as the basic stuff is concerned. But I was looking for more than that. I wanted to really, I felt like there was a a ceiling for me when I was outside the country and I wasn't in my home country. I felt I had certain limitations to what I could achieve. So in as much as Africa is more difficult to live in, um, I felt that's where I needed to be for whatever reason. So I've never really wanted to go back. Mm. Although visiting would be nice, but uh, not to stay there. You know, I've never really talked to somebody about long distance relationships. Just tell us a little bit about that. Because, you know, people have mixed feelings. They're like, yeah, it can work. It can't. But like, you know. Uh, You know, I think when it works, it works because you don't, you both don't know what's going on on the other side. You just don't find out (laughs) what's going on. So I think that's why it works. Otherwise, it's not supposed to work. I think, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's easier to, to put up some sort of fake um, persona to someone. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, it's easier it's you you sort of edit what you tell the person and what you show the person so by the time you they now decide decide to live together i think a lot of cracks will show so i i'm not a big believer of long distance relationships i don't think they um they show the true reflection of what the relationship is really about Mm, mm. okay Mm. so you came back for your wedding and you got married and then tell us what happened it didn't work girl why No, I think it's so many reasons. I mean, when people divorce, um, a lot of the times I think the other person blames the other, but I think it was both our faults. And I think the the foundation just wasn't strong enough Mm -hmm. and we had completely different values. And um, I think with men as well, we, we were of the same age. So I think part of it was to do with the maturity level where we did not mature at the same pace. So um, there was a disconnect somewhere, somehow. We just didn't grow together. Mm. Yeah. It was a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you together? Mm, five years. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you tried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> six months and yeah. I'm out. Like, this is <laughs> what I subscribed for. Like, five years ago, you tried. 
But you know, do you know, you know, as soon as you get married, that you've made the wrong decision. Really? You know. Yes, I knew. I knew, but I couldn't face it. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I couldn't, I, it was just shameful for me to be able to tell my, because you know, in Africa, in Africa, our weddings involve the entire family. So how do you then now tell your family after the big wedding and the lobola that, okay, I've made a mistake. This is not it. They'll they'll tell you, no, it's just, and you know, African, African culture is always uh, advocating for women to, to suck it up and, you know, try everything. So I just knew I would get the same response, um, but I knew, I knew. Mm. Did you tell anyone? Uh, yeah, I did. My best friend, <laughs> my best friend, even when he proposed, um, I actually went to this park and cried. But it wasn't the good cry. It was the cry where you realize that um, this is where the, the next step to the relationship. You love this man. You know the next step is mar- is marriage. That's what's expected of the relationship. With the, if it's a if it's a good relationship, you think it's a good relationship, and it's supposed to progress. That's just the natural direction of growth. The relationship is expected to take. But I wasn't ready for that growth. Uh, although I loved him, and uh, but I, I I just knew that if I decided not to marry him, it would affect the relationship and I could potentially lose him. So I had a cry at the park <laughs> knowing that I wasn't ready. I just, it just, yeah. So, mm. yeah. That, that's like, oh, I feel like you said so much there because I'm sure there's somebody who's listening who's thinking the same thing, right? Like, I know that I'm not ready or this isn't the right time, but I just don't know how to say it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, what would you, Mm. what would you say to that, that woman that's, that knows that, okay, but then they're looking at the family. They're looking at how much money has been spent. And this is why I say guys, Stop spending so much money on weddings. At least last oh my five goodness. years and then <laughs> do a wedding. <laughs> yeah, because you you'd have invested so many things. But you know, um in in as much as I knew I wouldn't take away the um, the decision I made mm-hmm. to go ahead with it because I think it's what I needed to experience because I think if you are at a point in life where you want to get married and can't say what you want to say then uh, you still have a lot to learn about yourself and sometimes the difficult part is the only part that can lead you to yourself so if you don't if of course I'll tell them to say it but if they can't say it, then they shouldn't beat themselves up. I don't think life is about perfection or getting things right. Sometimes you need to go down a certain path for you to find your voice. 
Mm. Okay, so five years down the line, what happens? Babies involved. What is the the, yeah. the 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 straw that broke the camel's back? Oh my goodness, <laughs> a lot, a lot. But I think the main thing for me was realizing that I couldn't be myself anymore in the relationship. I just knew I was losing myself and. The fights were also escalating. It just wasn't a, a happy home anymore. So I just knew, you know, when you can't, when you just get to a point where you can't, you don't have the strength in you to fight for it anymore. And even not having the strength and also knowing you're not in the right place. Mm. And for me, so my my being able to be myself. What is the most biggest thing for me? That's a deal breaker when I see that I can't be that person anymore. So I knew I had to leave. Mm. Did you have kids? Yeah, we have one girl. Ah, so sweet. How old is she now? She's eight. Aww. Okay. <laughs> I <so> know. <laughs> had to, so then you decided that, okay, it's time to, you know. Mm-hmm. It's time to separate. So what was that like um, in terms of one, informing the village, um, Mm. two, figuring out just like what is the logistics of this whole thing? You know what I mean? Because I think a lot of times we say that women don't leave because they're not... um, they don't feel that they're able to, uh, let's say, financially support themselves or, you know, they're just not, they're ready. They're not ready to take on all of that just yet. So they would say that all of them to stay a bit longer. But what did that look like for you? Oh, it was one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. Um, because at that time, we were actually living with his parents. So um, with us living with the parents, it felt like I was breaking up with them too. And these, these are people I really dearly loved. And obviously, them being the parents would try and um, stop us from breaking up and I, I had never, um, I'd never been able to. I think my personality ha- is a, I, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. So it's always easier for me to avoid the, the, what can I say, the, the arguments and the conflict. I don't like conflict. Mm. But in this, in this, this moment is, I think this is when it then now taught me to just be able to, do what my, what I really need to do for my, what I needed to do for myself. It was difficult. You know, we had the parish priest come and tell us how divorce is bad for us. And, um, my, my, my extended family also knew him as the, the ideal, um, son-in-law or whatever. And telling them the issues that, and I, I wasn't very outspoken in our issues. So it was a surprise to a lot of people. So they weren't supportive at first. They were like, no, try to make it work. And obviously it being the African culture, that's the right thing for them to do, to, to try and make sure the family doesn't break down. 
So it was very difficult because I had to stand on my own. And I, I was in Mutare. I didn't have uh, my my uh, my family and closest friends are all outside the country. I didn't have anyone to hold my hand and give me strength. I had to draw that strength out of me every single day. Every day I said, no, I need to leave. And I had to say no so many times. So just sticking to that no was very, very difficult. It's one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. But I knew I had to do it. I I just knew I couldn't stay there anymore. So I had to listen to, to my voice and just and just walk away. But it was hard. Financially as well, I wasn't ready. I had a lot of help from my family, my mother, my friends, you know. So yeah, it was difficult, very difficult. My daughter was only two at that time. Mm. Yeah. So how, I don't know about Zim, but what's the process like for getting a divorce? Is it a short thing, long thing? Because I feel like in Zambia, it takes a while. And then let's say if the other party says, oh, I'm actually not going to sign the papers, then you have to another long wait because then you have to be separated for a certain amount of years and then you can just file it yourself, you know? So yeah. What was that process like? Uh, it's so funny because when I got married, our, mar- our marriage officer, our officer's license was apparently expired at that time. So <laughs> if that wasn't a sign. <laughs> so on the wedding day, he came he, and he said, well, my, my uh, license expired, but we're going to go ahead with the ceremony. We're not going to sign anything. And you guys are going to have to go to the courts after that to then sign the documentation and have the court wedding. So we never got to do that. Um, so on the legal aspect, we didn't have to do much. Um, but on the traditional aspect now, we had to involve uh, the aunts. You know, uh, they we had to have meetings with them. We had to have counseling with them. Um, they had to understand and, you know, get to a point where they, they accept the decision. And it was something that I was um, pushing for. He wasn't ready for that. So that was the other dynamic that we had to face where he had to accept that that's what I wanted now. So it took some time with the back and forth, talking to the family members, my uncles, you know, everybody who is, um, who's expected to be part of the process um, had to say something. So it took a bit of some time, probably I'd say maybe, Actually, the first time I said I wanted to leave was a year before I actually left. Mm. So I stayed for the year after counseling from the aunts. We stayed um, together for that year, but then we couldn't resolve anything within that year. Mm. Mm. Okay. So now you are separated and I guess society calls you a divorced woman. Uh, some people fear that just, you know, to be labeled, uh, divorced. What was, yeah. what was your like mental frame in terms of that and just your experience of now being a divorced woman? 
Okay, well, um, I wasn't afraid of the title because I, am, I, I had no clue what it entailed. To me, I just thought, okay, this is a fresh new start. I thought it would be very easy. You know, I could just meet somebody else and then move on and life goes on. But no, <laughs> I was in for a rude awakening because as a single woman, society sees you differently now. Uh, to your married friends, you are potentially threats to, to their relationship. Uh, to any married woman around, uh, you, you are no longer on the same level because then you've decided to give up on your relationship. And, uh, in that also came a lot of shame where I felt that maybe I didn't try hard enough. I could have just tried a little bit more. Um, the friends completely changed because then, you know, you're used to having your friends where your couples, you go for um, events or whatever together. So when I went into it, I thought it wasn't a big deal. I really thought I didn't think I'd face the challenges that I faced as far as just how I was then now, um, placed in society it's, it's sort of like your 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 social status goes down a bit you know so interesting um <laughs> you'd, you'd wonder when things like that would stop hey uh yeah but okay so how did you cope you know mentally and spiritually, what were your coping mechanisms? I had to, I had to go for therapy for a while because it really affected me. So that was one of them. Um, I went to therapy, spoke to a really good therapist who'd walk me through what I was feeling. And um, I had to really, talk about it a lot with my, I didn't have support system, a support system because Mutare was a completely new town for me. So anybody I knew was through my ex-husband. So now I had to sort of find my own tribe, so to speak. So if at first it felt very lonely. I felt like, and you know, in the words, you know, there'll be all sorts of rumors going on and uh, gossip and, you know, <laughs> so I would have to deal with that. But at first I really struggled. If, if I'm to be honest, I really, really struggled. And then I just had to go back to myself, write, do the things that give me some sort of therapy, personal therapy, meditation, um, slowly just undoing the stuff I'll tell myself in my head and try to have a bit of a positive outlook. I tried to be a bit more positive about my future. So it was, I did a lot of internal work at that time, a lot of internal work. And in as much as it was painful, I guess it also helped me to cope um, and face whatever was going on. Yeah. So, you know, earlier you had mentioned that you were losing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the relationship. So when you look at then and now, what, how have you evolved? Has anything changed? You know? Mm -hmm. 
I think um, I've had to learn to look at my own patterns. Um, a lot of the times when stuff happens in relationships or life, it's easier to, to play the victim and, um, you know, sort of in as much as maybe somebody might have really wronged you. Uh, I, I, I got to learn that I have a lot more power over my life and circumstances. And sometimes when things happen and you let them happen, it's a choice. So I've learned to really watch my patterns and see what is causing certain things in my life or what was causing certain things in my life because there's certain things that uh, repeated themselves uh, in the way I handled situations or in the way that, um, like, for, for example, not being able to, to speak up when I felt something was wrong or to address something on time. So I had to... I had to learn to face myself. And I think that's the difference now where I now understand that my life is, is, is my life. I have complete control over it. Um, there's some things you can't help that happen, but the way I respond to it is my choice. And um, that's where my power comes in. So I've learned to do that for myself now. Yeah, that's powerful. So after you left, you had mentioned that you weren't like necessarily ready economically. So what was the next steps in terms of you figuring out what you're going to do for yourself? And then why did you decide to stay in the same town? Uh, well, um, I had a job at that time. Um, the job wasn't really paying me as much as I needed um, so my mother would help me out a lot. I would get a lot of help from her. Um, but the job also gave me an opportunity to, to sort of work on a commission. So that's what I did now switch to. And uh, in a way, it led me to what I did now do because um, it, it's the same. I was in the, uh, in the earth-moving industry. So in a way, that also forced me to start my own company and uh, try to make more money and start other businesses. That's also the drive to why I do so many different things. Uh, you know, in, 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 in an economy like ours in Zimbabwe, you can't have your eggs in one basket. So you try to spread it out and uh, look for different ways in which you can you can make a living. So I had to just work with what I had at that moment. At that time, it was my job and then negotiate for commissions and that gave me more money and then start my own company and all that stuff. So tell me about your journey to now deciding that, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to start writing seriously. You know, um, what, what changed, what shifted? You know, when we're actually going through um, our issues with my ex, he said to me, now you are writing more. When I, when I told him I wanted to leave, he said to me, I'm realizing you're writing more now. So I think that's when it started a, a lot more, um, I guess, because that was my natural way of expression and release. 
So I did that more and more and more. And I started to share uh, some of my writings on Facebook. And I had a bit of a following, you know, people don't like long stuff, <laughs> but I had a bit of a following and so people would always say to me, well, why don't you write more, write something, start a blog, do something, you know, then I started my blog. And when I started my blog, I would get more people giving me feedback on how much uh, whatever I wrote really affected them. I would have people tell me about their personal lives. And so I realized there was power in the words that I was putting out there. And I realized it actually started to haunt me uh, that I needed to, I wanted to put my experience out there. And the, the most authentic way I could do it was through poetry. Because whenever I wrote my poems, there's no poem I can write. Like, I, I can't write a lie of a poem, for example. If I were to write a book about my life, knowing myself, I know I would have edited a lot of stuff and I wouldn't have said some things. I would have been con like conscious of people's feelings and worry about that. But when I write poetry now, it's it's very raw, it's authentic. And I felt that was the best way I could express myself publicly. I didn't want to put something out there that wasn't authentic, that wasn't really a true representation of who I was. So I then just decided to, and the poems, some of them were already there and they were not written for people. I, I did not even mean to show them to anybody, but I felt it was time for me to do that. So a lot of my poetry is just, um, it's something that I wrote in my truth and um, yeah. So I just decided to do that, but it, it also wasn't an easy decision to make. Okay. It's so interesting that you say that because I'm supposed to be writing a book, but you know what I feel? I, ah, yeah. like I get what you're saying about like the editing out, you know, certain things and, you yeah. know, being concerned about other yeah. people's things and things like that. But at the same yeah. time, I feel like when I write, I become like, I go into that emotion you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever that mm. time is or, you know, and sometimes I think, you know, when you've like, when you have healed from whatever that situation was. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and the, the person that you were at that time seems so foreign to the person that you are now yeah. that it almost, yeah. it almost feels inauthentic to, to be documenting that because then I'm not right. able to go into that em emotional state. I don't know if what I'm saying is making I sense. Get <laughs> I get it. I get it completely. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I guess that the advantage I had was that when I was experiencing what I was experiencing is when I actually wrote the poems. So when I put the book together, I already had the material and they all were at the timeline, they were written at the timeline that they were supposed to be written. So the, the, the poems just were just there to collect and put together. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to, to sort of try and draw that, 
you know, again and try to live through it. Obviously, it's it's a different emotion altogether when you have when you are now at a different phase in life. Mm. So tell me about your 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 writing. Um, mm-hmm. And I because I, I, I often wonder because when I do write, like I'm exhausted afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> it's emotionally texting, yeah. Right? It is, it is yeah. emotionally yeah. texting, guys. Like, if you guys think that when someone puts something out, like, they're just writing mm-hmm. for the sake of writing, yo, it's, like, tired. Yeah. Tired afterwards. I don't yeah. know what process, like. <laughs> for me, it depends. There's some things that make me emotional. With poetry, I think... I release the emotion. So I feel better soon after I write. I, I I feel more energized. I feel somehow healed somewhat. <laughs> Not completely, but it's it's I release in the poetry piece. Um but if it's my blog posts now, I I live in them for a while and they linger with me after you know <laughs> and like i and and even before i actually write the blog posts i can feel something coming that i need to write it so it's it's like the the before and the during and the after so it's a it's a longer emotional process <laughs> than the poetry mm, mm. which one do you prefer the blog or the poetry Ah, that's hard to choose. <laughs> it's hard to choose because they're all they all they they have their own purpose. They 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 have a different purpose in my life. The blog is more of when I when I want to just be myself. When I want to say, I mean, it's both, but. With the blog, it's when I want to come out of, because I guess maybe because of the poetry, there's a book involved and then there's the marketing and the business side to it. So um, putting together the book feels more like a business venture. The blog brings me back. It's, it's like in between the businesses and life and whatnot, it brings me back to... Uh, why I write, to why I love writing. It reminds me why I love writing. The poetry, when I write a poem piece, is just in that moment. It's, it's, it, it happens in the moment and it's, it's released and it's done. So they, I don't know, I can't choose. I can't choose. I need them both. <laughs> I need them both. Yeah. So what is your goal when you write and you share? Because, I mean, there's writing which you know, like, okay, this is for me. But when you share, who are you speaking to? What are you trying to say? When I share, I think I'm speaking to my tribe, people who think like me and who need the message in that time. I realized uh, a long time ago that I won't be able to appeal to everybody. And the majority of people don't like to read. So, um, the, the, and people's attention spans are so short now. People prefer pictures, <laughs> cute pictures, sexy pictures, and all that stuff. Uh, and I've, I've come to accept that. I, I used to be a 
emotional about it at first, but now I've come to accept it. So now I know that when I write, I'm writing for whoever needs to hear the message and the people who think like me, people who who need a healing space, people who have shame and regret and are not able to be who they are and just want that that push to 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 sort of remind them that okay you're perfect as you are um and i i i like to write a lot about um things that people don't talk about and things that people are ashamed to admit to so it's a space where i know uh whoever comes there really needs to hear it and yeah, it's just for the person who wants it and needs it at that time. And I'm no longer attached to the quantity, like to the number of people. Um, it's more about quality. And then when they get back to me and they tell me their story, it fills me up. So in essence, it also gives back to me in a way. Let's talk a little bit more about the shame. What is that thing which you, you have noticed that as women, as African women, that we are most ashamed about? Mm, I think I think a lot has to do with um, what is expected versus what we put out. Um, I think a lot of African women are ashamed of the times when they fail to meet up to society's expectations when it comes to a woman's, what a woman is supposed to do in life or how she's supposed to present herself in society. So this goes to maybe her body, how she wants to express her body versus how um, she's required to show up, like her clothes, for example. Uh, I feel a lot of people feel shamed about what they look like, their body structure, the, 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 their faces, you know, and then what their bodies can do, like giving birth uh, to, to, you know, to, you know, just being able to be a mom. Most women who can't do that feel a lot of shame when it comes to that. So I think it's a lot to do with, with not being able to meet up to societal expectations. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> now this is just me being nosy. Um, what is, <laughs> I'm just wondering. <laughs> what has your dating life been like? Because you had mentioned that, you know, Afterwards, you're like, okay, you know, I'm going to separate and I'm just going to meet somebody. We're going to start dating. Like, so what, what has happened? What happens? Uh, you know, if there's anything that I think I have not mastered in this lifetime, it's love. <laughs> I, um, I actually haven't dated much since the divorce, but I think it has a lot to do with, um, my fears when it comes to meeting a person who's ready to get married again, I think I have a lot of fears uh, that have to do with marriage in itself and putting myself there again. 
So that affects a lot of my decisions in how I date or how I let him to my life. Um, so I've struggled a lot with that. I'm hoping uh, I, <laughs> I, get, I get past that fear, but I do struggle a lot with that. So the, the, the word on the street is that, you know, the guys that won't want a woman who is, you know, with a child, like, you know what I mean? Like a single mom, has that been your experience or is that a lie? Oh, no, it's, it's a very, very, it's a true thing. Um, especially when it comes to guys committing, I feel single mothers are seen as either side chicks uh, the the great side chick or um, someone to just pass time with, nobody to really uh, consider seriously for marriage because then she comes with a lot of baggage. She's got her kids and, you know, I see that a lot of men, um, they think single moms are, are expired goods, if I, if I am to say that. Uh, we're seen as expired goods and it's like, it's like driving a secondhand car to them, I suppose. So it's, it's a very true thing and it plays a lot into the dynamics of how single women then now date later on. And I've seen it in a lot of my friends and a lot have just given up on the idea of remarrying again because the type of guy that you meet now as a single mom is a totally different guy. He's most likely 90% of the time is not trying to make you a wife. Guys, if that guy is listening, <laughs> I want to hear, <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts on this. You, and yeah, I'm not even going to say much. I don't know much on the subject. I was very curious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you've been in Mutarid now for nine years. Is this something that you think you, you know, are you going to be there for the long term or mm-hmm. what are your plans? I think I'm too much for Mutare. <laughs> I think I'm too much. Mutare is a very small town and the people here are very chilled. It's different from Harare. Harare is a hustler's place and it's fast. It's It's you know, tuned in. Mutare is very relaxed. I like that aspect of Mutare, but I don't see myself lasting too long. I think I might grow too big for it, (laughs) not to toot my own horn, but I feel I'm too ambitious for the place. So I might be forced to then move later on. In terms of your daughter, are you co-parenting? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. We co-parents, we co-parents well together. And a lot of people wonder how we can have the same relationship, the, the relationship that we have now after maybe the divorce that we had. But we, we do co-parent well together. I think we've learned to choose our battles. There's no need to keep fighting about things that you can't change and we're not together anymore. So you can't change the other person. So we try to co-parent well together and put our daughter's interest first. 
I get on well with uh, his family, his side of his family. They're very supportive of me in, in everything that I do. And it's very overwhelming. Uh, and they, are, they, they support me with my daughter. So I'm blessed to have that. That's amazing. That's actually really amazing. Yeah. <laughs> what is that thing that you would want your daughter to know? Hmm. As you are raised, wow. what are you what are you so intentional about in in instilling in her? You know what I mean? That's a good question. Um, I'm very intentional about her not being not deeming who she really is. I'm very, my daughter is a very, she's a very good child. Like sometimes I'm like, leave a little, like <laughs> break some rules in my head. <laughs> but she's a very good kid. And I worry a lot about, you know, just the father daughter dynamics and how that will affect her choices in the future when it comes to marriage and all those things. But what I really want her to know and to, to carry with her is that she, she she's enough, you know. She's enough and she's okay the way she is. It doesn't matter. For me, it's not about perfection or um, reaching to great heights or her achieving uh, massive things in life. I just want her to live a full life. And to embrace herself, her weaknesses, her strengths, and to just know that she has me to to accept whatever part of her that decides to come out in any phase of her life. Do you want more kids? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I struggle. I really struggle with that because I know my daughter wants siblings. But I am just, I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's the, it's the marriage thing because I also don't want to have kids out of wedlock. I want to be able to have the father in the, in the child's life. So maybe I'm putting that together when they're not supposed to be together. So mm-hmm. because of that, I have very conflicted feelings about that. Um, I think I'll, I'll be okay with just the, the one kid. But, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'll regret it. So recently, I, I was told I have fibroids, and if I want to have kids, I need to, I need to do it as soon as possible. And I was, I was very emotional about that because I, I felt I still wasn't ready, but I still have this timeline I need to chase after. So I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough mm. one. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> To the woman that is listening, that is on a journey of really understanding and discovering her identity as an African woman, what would you say to her? I think I would say that she should just allow herself to unfold. Um, A lot of the times we... We place um, 
certain titles to who we are, and yet sometimes the titles are not complete or they don't fit. And and showing it the most the most authentic part of yourself is very difficult in a lot of settings. So what I'll say to her is she just needs to allow herself to unfold and whatever comes with that, she needs to accept it and know that it's the right time for it to come out, whether it's good or bad or the cracks or the pain. I don't think she should put too much pressure on herself. She should just be and let whatever she's feeling in the moment happen. Everything happens for a reason, whether it's good or bad, and everything comes together to 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 work together to to make you the next who you're going to be tomorrow. So yeah, I'll just tell her to let herself unfold and be whatever she is in that moment, whoever she wants to be in that moment. That's beautiful. Let yourself unfold. Have you heard, ladies? Let yourself unfold. Mm-hmm. All right, Margaret. So tell the audience where can they find you? You said you just launched your audio book. So where is yeah. it that we can support you? How do we how do we find you first of all? And then how do we support you? What are you, <laughs> what are you working on? Uh, I am my social media handles on Facebook are Margaret Chilep. Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, Twitter are Margaret Chileme. I wish I had a cooler name. I don't. It's I Margaret Chileme. Name. <laughs> that name, Margaret Chileme. Like, you know, it's how you say it. <laughs> it's like the D is a it's like a deme, deme. And then on Facebook, I also have my author page, Margaret Chideme, the author. Um, uh, my audio book is going to be on Audible. It's going to be on Find Away Voices. Um, it's, well, locally, uh, people can get in touch with me on my social media pages. But yeah, it's going to be on those platforms. Uh, I also have a few of my work on SoundCloud as well. Ah, nice, nice. Guys, please go out and support Margaret. I feel like, you know, I feel like creatives are always underrated, you know, in terms of they are the people that we run to when we need to get through certain things. You know what I mean? We'll go to the meetings, we'll go to the poetry, we'll go to stories, film, all of this kind of stuff. But we don't necessarily give them as much respect um for what they really do for us because they really do help us like transition from one emotion to another you know where you know that okay i need to feel happy now i need to feel you know like i want to feel a certain way better elevated you know what i mean and i just think that we need to be doing a bit more to support creatives so please go out and support Margaret. thank you (laughs) all right thank you I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I hope one day I'll be able to come and visit because I have never been to the east of Zimbabwe. Like I said, I've always kind of just like, you know, when you're slicing, going down. Oh, (laughs) it'll take your breath away. You should come. You should come. Everything about this place is clean and pure and yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but guys, there was like a whole story struggle, like situation, <laughs> like <laughs> just to get this done. And I started a message. I was like, listen, third time is a charm. We're going to do this. I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we've done it and it's been amazing. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I hope your podcast flourishes and blesses a lot of lives. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is 2022 and we are still talking about a woman's status in society dropping because she is divorced. 2022. I am judging you. I was listening to a speech by Carolyn Mutoko and she repeatedly said, men travel light. Men travel light. When a relationship ends, men just get up and go and they can start again. In comparison to the woman who now carries her children alone, she carries the shame and stigma of divorce. She carries loneliness from being abandoned by friends and family. Men travel light. Women travel with a heavy load. And then when she wants to start again, she is told you are only good enough to pass time with. Such a phenomenal woman doing so much. You are only good enough to pass time with. You are not someone I can take home to my family. I'm judging you. To be honest, once we cross over the 100th episode, I think I want to start talking to men about some of these things. Make it make sense. How do we change the public psyche? We need both men and women at the table. So look out for that. I'm just putting myself out there and saying this is something that I have to do because I don't understand. That said, when Margaret said, sometimes a difficult path is the only path that can lead you to yourself, I was like, that is so true. Sometimes you need to be shaken awake or have fire on your heels. I was going to say something else, but I said heels. (laughs) So sometimes you need to have fire on your heels for you to become aware of your truth. Even though Margaret knew her marriage was a mistake from day one, it was still the path she had to take to understand that her truth is freedom. Now, it's not something I would wish on anyone, that difficult path. It's just how life plays out sometimes. As Africana women, we give our guests their roses right now. Please find Margaret on Instagram at Margaret Chideme. 
Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. Take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. We want to keep the conversation going. The mission of Africana Woman has always been to tell more African women's stories. One of the ways that we are doing this is by helping you start your own podcast. And I'm so excited. This month, I am going to be working with two new clients, I cannot wait to share their podcasts with you because uh, they are so, so impactful. You will love them. So if you want to start a, a podcast, if you have a burning idea and you're interested in launching a podcast, girl, contact us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is important. So my playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me. Tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcast, because that helps us spread the word about this show to more African sisters out there. Talk to you soon. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media.